Seattle's Morning News. This is Dave Ross. There have been developments in the January 6th investigation. So let's consult with former State Attorney General Rob McKenna. Our conversation is sponsored by Madrona Financial Services. The big one, of course, is the decision by the January 6th committee to uh, hold Mark Meadows, former White House Chief of Staff, former member of Congress, in contempt of Congress. But this doesn't mean that charges will be filed. This is going to be up to the DOJ ultimately, right? Well, that's exactly right. And it puts DOJ in a bind, frankly, because, you know, on the one hand, the Department of Justice is responsible for making decisions about charging and prosecuting federal crimes. On the other hand, the Department of Justice is part of the executive branch, and it uh, has historically tried to protect the deliberations that occur in the executive branch, including at the White House, from uh, from disclosure. So the Department of Justice is, is in a tough position here, and it, it's it's tough in part because this is not Steve Bannon. That was an easy call. Mm-hmm. Steve Bannon was not in the White House, hadn't worked there in quite a while uh, when January 6th came along. Mark Meadows was the chief of staff to President Trump on January 6th, and so he's got a much stronger claim to executive privilege than Bannon did. The other thing that, that is happening is that the Attorney General of Washington, D.C., Carl Racine, who I understand you know, has also filed suit in connection with uh, with what happened. What chances does that have of succeeding? I think it's got a, a reasonably good chance, as in Charlottesville, the Attorney General of D.C. is going to be seeking substantial uh, compensation for the District of Columbia for the harm and damage that was caused by the riots, which they're going to try to pin on these two organizations, the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers. The, the avowed goal of Attorney General Rossini is to bankrupt these two organizations. The second uh, reason that this lawsuit could be successful in a way is discovery, that they could use it to uncover a lot of communications within those groups and between those groups and, you know, between those groups and other individuals and organizations. In Charlottesville, that was one of the most powerful outcomes of the litigation, is that they were able to access thousands of uh, chat messages and other communications that revealed a lot about how those organizations worked in Charlottesville and how they coordinated their efforts, uh, uh, you know, that resulted in someone dying during the uh, demonstration and a lot of damage being committed. So if they win this, that could essentially snuff out the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers, huh? I I think it could. I mean, the legal fees alone could do that. You know, the the, the KKK Act of 1871, which was passed after the Civil War to safeguard government officials who were carrying out their duties, was used, has been used before. It was used back in the 1980s in a lawsuit brought on behalf of a murdered African-American man against the uh, Alabama chapter of the Ku Klux Klan. And that lawsuit bankrupted that chapter. They, they were put out of business. They had to turn over their headquarters to the family of the, of the murder victim. And then there was a ruling by a federal judge defining the attempt to stop the Electoral College vote as a crime, even if no violence was involved. So explain the consequences of that. Well, if interrupting the counting of electoral votes is a crime, it means that counting electoral votes in the House of Representatives is a, quote, official proceeding, because the crime is a crime of disrupting an official proceeding before Congress by, quote, entering and remaining in the United States Capitol without authority and committing an act of civil disorder and engaging in disorderly and disruptive conduct. So so it would not just be the fact they're in the Capitol illegally, it's that 
the attempt to disrupt the vote counting is an independent crime. Now, enemies of uh, former President Trump are looking at this and saying, well, if that reading of the corruption law holds up, could it mean that when President Trump and his people tried to stop the House proceedings by, oh, you know, getting the Georgia Secretary of State to uh, commit election fraud, would that constitute disrupting the proceeding? I think that's a little bit of a stretch, but it does at least open up the possibility that other kinds of obstruction predating the actual date of the vote count could result in criminal charges. And those criminal charges could be filed against Trump himself because his claims provided the incentive to do this? Well, th- this is the argument that people like the former Solicitor General Neil Katyal are making. They're arguing that as long as, and again, I'm quoting Katyal, as long as the intent was to, to disrupt the vote count, it would suffice to be criminal, which of course makes sense because there's a lot at stake when you're counting votes to you know, validate a presidential election. So you know, we'll see whether or not this interpretation of the law in a case involving two people who actually invaded the Capitol would be extended to actors and to actions that predated the vote counting day. But if it could be shown that their intent was to corruptly block the uh, the counting of the votes, and there might be a case for prosecutors. Former State Attorney General Rob McKenna. Rob, thanks very much. Thanks, Dave.